For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. I'm your host, Aaron Witt, and today we have someone from halfway around the world. It's almost 9 p.m. my time, which is my bedtime, and I'm staying up late to talk to this guy. I don't know why, but here we are. Mr. Jimmy Starbuck. Good afternoon or good evening for you. It's lunchtime here, and I'm staying on the phone instead of going and eating some pizza. So that shows what I'm putting out for uh, to be on this show. So we're both making sacrifices tonight. <laughs> That's it. Well, Jimmy, like I said, you're the first Australian on the show. So congratulations. You beat Marty. I'm very honored. Yep. I'm very honored. Yep. You no. probably tried to get Marty first, but he didn't respond quick enough because yeah. he's too busy at work, unlike myself. Well, he's the hardest working bloke in Australia. That is exactly <laughs> right. There's a little plug there for him as well. He'll be very happy. Yep. Yeah, follow Marty at, at uh, Hardest Working Bloke in Australia. Um, well, it. so you are, for people that don't know you, you're a business owner in Australia, right? Can you explain your, your business, what you do? So we're a bit of a different sort of business. So what we have in Australia is is we have a thing called a plant hire agency. So I have my own bulk earthworks company where I own the machines that go to work, but then I have a trucking company that brings in subcontractors to work through us to move all of the dirt. So I not only do the bulk earthworks jobs, but then I truck the dirt on road as well. And you're the one organizing the trucks, but you don't own the trucks. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So I own a few of the trucks, but the majority of the trucks are owned by other people, mainly op- owner operators uh, who come through my agency and we organize all of them. Yep. How many how many trucks do you guys have at any one time? We try and send out around 100 a day. It's obviously up and down from there, but around in between 80 and 90 is a very average day. Why why get into the trucking side of things? Isn't it just more trouble than it's worth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not more <laughs> trouble than it's worth, but it is a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, the problem that we had, uh, that I had is, is when I first started, I couldn't get the credit with the trucking companies. And because of the jobs that I was going for, it meant that I was really struggling to get enough trucks on site or to have enough cash flow to pay the trucking companies early. Yeah. Because I was very young when I started needing to have the, the the dirt be moved on road, so it meant that there were I saw a need there for me to organise my own trucks, which therefore meant that 
I could make a little bit more money, manage my cash flow better because I could run better accounts with things. So that started about seven, eight years ago, just running one or two or three trucks. Wow. A so, day, and so now it's it was, it was really just out of necessity. Yeah. Also, I found I could manage the dirt better. So it meant that you would take it to a tip site and if there was a little bit of stuff in the load, you know, a few broken pipes, some tree roots uh, uh, or whatever it might be, that they would charge more for that. Okay. The, the trucking companies that I was employing to come in. When I could manage that better if I was taking it to my own dump sites or uh, or my own jobs or instead of sending it to the place that only wanted the clay, I'd, send it, I'd be able to manage it and send it to the place that would accept it with tree roots or a bit of brick or whatever it might be. Gotcha. And and the nature of the excavation work that you're doing is it's a it's a lot of like basements and that kind of thing. Yeah, the basements in Australia are different than the basements in America. So your basements in America have a lot of backfill around them. Yeah. After you dig them, because you're digging a, a lot for the frost layers, aren't you? So in Australia, we're digging them for underground car parks. So that means that all our whole block, that all of the basement that we're digging has to be trucked away on road when the basements in America seem to stockpile a lot of the dirt on site and then recompact it in around the basement. Yeah, and where, where does all the dirt, where do you have to haul it to? Is there like one spot okay. or it just goes wherever? So you can get the import jobs where you're filling up the wetlands or whatever it might be for a new industrial estate, a new housing estate, yeah. or maybe an old disused quarry or a floodplain that they're trying to manage their water or erosion or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of dirt that moves around my city. So you're trying to find not just holes to dig, but places to put the dirt. Correct. So if you can have all of the, I believe that the word that the businessman uses, the vertical integration. There you so go. if you can have, if you can dig the hole, truck the dirt and put the dirt in somewhere else and get paid for all three, then you're probably going to make a little bit of money. Okay. All right. Is the hope. Well, that's the hope. People say you're going to make money one day as a business owner. I haven't seen it yet, though. No, that's untrue. I see that beautiful F one fifty you've got. You you can't lie. Uh, it's all it's all debt. The bank <laughs> the bank owns it. I don't own it. What? Um, yeah. So how'd you get this whole circus started? Where did you start out? Did you go to school or did you just go right into working in in the field? I actually, uh, I went to university for three months to study political science. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, I dropped out from there and actually went and made soap. Soap? In a factory. Soap, like that you wash yourself with. Yeah, <laughs> went and made soap in a factory. I had a fight with the boss's son, and I walked out, and uh, it was very, very strange. My mother called me the second I started my car, and she said, I feel like I just had to call you. And I said, well, you never believe it, Mum. I just quit the job. So then by the time I got to the street, my dad called me up and says, go buy yourself a pair of work boots. I've got you a job with one of my friends driving his excavator. No kidding. And so, yeah, so then I went and drove his excavators for three weeks, and then I went out and bought a two-and-a-half-ton machine. After three weeks? Yeah. I knew how to drive them from growing up. My my grandfather was a very big earth mover in Melbourne. He sold his company in the mid-80s. My father was an underground electrical contractor, so he had small machines that dug long, narrow holes. Yeah. 
And so I knew how to drive them from growing up, building uh, motorcycle jumps and whatever else, and working on uh, school holidays. And then after three weeks, I just thought it would be a bit of fun to go out and buy a two and a half ton. So I was uh, almost 20 years old when I bought the two and a half. Almost. And and how did you do that? With money you'd saved up or how did you even buy it? I bought it with a loan for a car. Really? So I said that I was buying a car and uh, went out and bought a two and a half ton. (laughs) And just a private sale and whatever the paperwork says is what the paperwork says. I put down a big deposit so it didn't matter very much. It was only a $20,000 excavator. I think it was 22 and a half. Yeah. I think it was 22,500. What the heck? Did you ever, and and so from then on you were on your own or were you working for someone else with the machine? I was, well, I didn't have much work at the start. So I uh, went out and labored a lot, you Mm. know, I did a lot of work for landscapers or concreters. And then I got a fairly decent sized break. There was a uh, ad in the paper for an underwater excavator operator building trains out into the bay driving the guy's machine what? and so I went and applied for that job and he gave me the job driving his own machine and I just worked real hard at it I really enjoyed it it was on the beach in summertime and there was worse places to work with the beautiful views yeah I'm sure you can understand yeah and so after working there two or three months he really gave me a good break and started giving me a lot of machine hire work but before that my two and a half tons sat in my sat at my parents' house in their driveway for a long time. No kidding. I, yeah, but no one wanted to give a 19-year-old a job driving an excavator, you know, yeah. rocking up with their own one. So I did a lot of, just a lot of labouring, a lot of, uh, you know, concreting or I tied steel for a concrete company at the hope that I'd get to do the slab work with the excavator as well. But what usually ended up happening was is because I was working really hard, they just keep me on as a laborer and get someone else there in their excavator, which was a bit of a pain in the neck. Yeah, yeah, you do too good of a job. What Were you nervous? You know, you just spent more money than you'd probably seen your entire life on this machine <laughs> that's sitting in your parents' driveway. Are you sitting there like, what the hell did I just do? Or, or were you the whole time like, no, nah, this is going to work? No, nah, to be honest, I didn't uh, I didn't mind too much about that one because, like I said, I had a big deposit and I got a few jobs a month. But when I got really nervous is when I bought the third or fourth machine along the line, which is a 14-ton. I bought that when I was 24 and I didn't have a day's work for, for three months. No kidding. So I bought it. I shipped it about 2,000 kilometers back home. I flew up to, to buy it. I uh, shipped at 2,000 kilometers home, and I did not have one job for it for, yeah, three or four months. And the repayments were a lot more. The people that I was uh, bought the machine to drive for them, to operate for them, they just fell through. As soon as I got it, all of a sudden the jobs disappeared, and I didn't have any. Man, and it's just sitting there. And it just sat there. It was a beautiful garden ornament. It was a Cabelco. It was green. It, it, I used to... Uh, track it up and down the driveway and wash it. And, <laughs> uh, but that's when it started to get a bit worrying. But the two and a half ton, not really. I, you know, I was still making all right money laboring enough to keep the machine pay payments up. I uh, didn't have a huge repayment at all. So that's what it was okay. I feel like a lot of people don't understand that. Like you have to keep equipment moving. It has to be paying for itself because you're, you're paying on it regardless of what it's doing. So the bank doesn't care yeah, if you've used that, it. 
the bank doesn't care if you earn the repayment for the month on Christmas Day, after hours, weekends, you know, public holidays. They don't care when you earn that repayment. They are taking it regardless. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just used to work whenever I could get anything. I didn't mind what it was. So what, at what point were you like, okay, you know, maybe this is a business and you were, you know, officially on your own running equipment? And actually doing the equipment like uh, wholly and solely, not yeah. laboring, yeah. not uh, not trying to install instant turf or build the retaining wall. It probably took me three years before I got to that stage, I reckon. Three years. Before, yeah, three years, I reckon. So it was one year with the the two and a half ton by itself. And then I got a posi track as well. And then I bought a truck and, you know, I just kept getting further into it the more I needed. But I was always hustling, doing something. I used to sell landscaping rocks that I'd take the excavator to a place that was digging out rocks and pick through their rocks to see if I could find nice ones, take them back to a property, unload them and try and sell them on eBay. What, but why, like, why, why do all this, Jimmy? Like, what was the motivation? Why, 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 I just really why hustle? Like driving trucks and diggers. Really, you just really like being around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like driving trucks and diggers. I, it, it was just, so I was very good at it. I was very good at driving the machines. I don't think you can be a, a successful businessman if you're not actually good at what you're trying to build a business out of. Yeah. You know, so I, I was good at it. I, I liked working. I, I like to think that I've always been a hard worker. And so I just, you know, just kept plugging away. And then I think that the opportunities that presented themselves, whether it be the landscaping rocks or building drains out into the bay in the city that I live, well, I just, uh, I didn't know if I was seizing that opportunity. But looking back, I think I was. But yeah. at the time, it was just something that I was doing, you know. Oh, I've got rocks here. I should try and sell them. Oh, there's a job that looks pretty cool in the newspaper. I'll try and get it. At what point? So a lot of people, especially in the States, they'll run equipment and they'll be really damn good at, at running an excavator. They'll own the excavator, owner-operator. Maybe they have, you know, two, three guys. They don't really scale mm-hmm. beyond that. Most of the time, just because they don't want to. At, at what point did you yep. scale beyond just you and a machine? Because I, I because I, I remember like you were still in a machine not too long ago. Yeah, I, absolutely. I still go drive machines for fun now. Yeah, it's one of my hobbies. I was in a machine probably two months ago for four days, even though yeah, because it was a good job and it was how I liked it. I think that the issue, the main one, is is that there's a problem in in earth moving where you can be that great operator but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a great businessman yeah and it's when you get to those two or three machines that the the cracks start to emerge with your invoicing with your quoting with your time management and all of those problems yeah and it's as you build up that the i'm not saying i'm no great businessman i've had a lot of help along the way without that help i wouldn't be anywhere near where i was today but all of those cracks start to emerge and that's where they fall over or they scale back or they stop chasing the next job because of the fact that they don't have the support around them of what they need if they only have three operators that go start work at seven and go home at three thirty and break the machines and put their hands up and don't take responsibility for it, well, they're always going to be chasing their tail. Yeah. I was very lucky with a, with a fair number of key employees that I had and that I, I got, which some were calculated, some weren't, 
but as I built up, I was able to give some of that responsibility off of my shoulders onto other people, which meant that I could continue doing what I did best, which was dig holes. And those holes just got bigger and bigger, and all of the stuff in the background kept getting sorted out. You know, it, don't get me wrong, I, I, there was many nights, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning doing paperwork or quoting, but that can't continue on forever. You can't do that for three, four, five years. Yeah. You have to get to that stage and then move past it. What were some of the problems you, you had to figure out during that stage? So I have a saying, the three most important rules of excavation and being in business is it's not to do a great job because everyone's done a great job that they haven't been paid. Yep. It's not to look after the equipment because equipment that is well-maintained but sitting in your yard doesn't earn any money. Yeah. And the three most important rules are get the money, get the money, get the money. <laughs> right? And, that, and with money, it gives you opportunities. Yeah. It allows you to fix the gear that's broken down. It allows you to quote for the bigger jobs. It allows you to employ the people in the background to do the paperwork for you. Yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, what we are, we're, we're, we're people who go out and dig holes. It's very simple. But that scalability there, my knowledge is not how to do the invoicing the best. That's just something that came as I got bigger. My knowledge is actually in how to dig a hole and make money out of it when other people can't. Yeah. So you've you've... You've got to get money so that you have those options. And that is the most challenging part. Cash flow, all of those things that you've, you've touched on in your post. You know, the, the, to actually have the money in the bank to be able to fix the problem, to buy the materials, to hold on to a debt. You know, as the, the businesses that pay hold on longer and longer, you, you start working in backyards and they pay you at the end of the day. Then you start working for builders, they pay at the end of the month. Then you start working for the government and you're lucky to see the money this Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't really understand how important cash flow is until you kind of get into a pickle, I've realized, or start yep, to feel absolutely. some of the pressure. Because I, I could have had cash flow explained to me a hundred times over before I actually experienced it. I still wouldn't have understood it. And then you run out of money yep. once and you're like, okay, I understand it perfectly now. I totally yeah, understand yeah. what cash flow means. <laughs> it's, it's crystal clear. So like, yeah. to give an example, when I had my trucking company started and I only had 10 people that was going to work for the trucking company. And I needed 15. How do you get those extra five to leave their job, to leave the company they're working for because they own their own uh, truck, but they, they subcontract out to the agency? How do you get those people to come to work for you? You pay more yep. or you pay faster. Yep. It's the only way. Yeah, especially if you're truck you know, drivers. You're not gonna, yeah. yeah, you're not, you're not going to get it by offering them a warm hug. Yeah. Or, you know, they're not going to get it if you offer them to come over for a roast dinner. <laughs> offer them to pay them at the end of the day tomorrow, yeah. and then they're coming. Yeah. So I had the shortest payment terms in the industry for a, for a long time. My payment terms have blown out to be consistent with everyone else's now because you, it's very difficult to process, you know, seven or 800 dockets in a week. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult, and so that creates the lag time that, you know, where these bigger companies were. But for years, I paid weekly. There was times that I paid daily. And that all comes from the money. The money is where you get the power to be able to do anything. You can get in more trucks. You can hire in another piece of equipment. 
It's it's funny though. People are afraid to talk about money because for whatever reason it's taboo or they feel guilty. Oh, I don't want to make it all about the money or this and that. But it's how the whole world goes round. Like if you don't talk about money, like what it, that it's how you do everything. It's how you feed your family. It's how you everything depends on money. Exactly. Well, like I said, I'm not going to work for warm hugs and roast dinners on Sunday. Yeah. You know, or a good conversation. Yeah. Although this conversation with me and you is really good, but we're <laughs> all going to work for money. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's so. Yeah. It, and it all goes round. The world goes round. You can buy the new equipment with money that doesn't break down. Like you can decide and get have choices with money. If not, you're stuck taking anything, such as rolling out instant turf for a landscaper or digging a drain in the bay in someone else's excavator when your one sits at home. Yeah. Because you have to, because there is a repayment coming, and if you don't make it, you're in trouble. So why, going to those truck drivers, uh, you know, now that you're kind of paying as like, like everyone else, why do they still work for you guys as opposed to the other brokers? There's, there's probably five or six brokers in my city. Uh, there's, we, if there's work out there, they come. So the more work we get, the more trucks we get as they're looking for continuity and consistency of work. Gotcha. Never miss the payment. We we pay very good. I've got an office full of people that are trying to do the payments. And because I I own the dirt. And that mm. makes it, it's a interesting thought. But so because I contract the holes to dig them and I contract the places to fill them. Yeah. It means that I'm able to manage that entire process. So in the rain, I, d- I don't like to stop in the rain because the bank doesn't get care if it's raining for the repayment. Yeah. So, and a little bit of a job continuing to move can be more important than making money sometimes. Money's always the top, but it, there's you got to continue to move the jobs forward. So I don't like to stop, which means that when other trucking companies will stop in the rain, I'll continue. Hmm. So and so the other trucking companies, they're just trucking companies, and then they're working with contractors that are digging the holes. Correct. And uh, other contractors yeah. that put the dirt into the hole, the infill. Yeah, but you're doing some it all. Some of them have their yeah. Some of them have the infills as well. The bigger ones have the, uh, you know quite quite decent companies actually that do large infills like of quarries and uh, old quarries and stuff like that. But they don't dig the dirt out of the ground. Mm. So going to the excavation business, you, you you went from a two and a half ton machine. Where are you guys at now as far as the size of the excavation business? Uh, we got about 20, uh, 21 pieces of plant now. Nice. Not all of them work at all of the times because you start the utilization starts to be a little bit more difficult Yeah. now, it, just with servicing and breakdowns and maintenance. So we've got about that and just... Yeah, we move. Oh, we dig some decent holes. Our biggest hole is sort of 120,000 cubic meters solid. Okay. That we've done. So that starts to be fairly decent sized work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good size yeah. hole. And you're in your early 30s, aren't you? How old are you? Yeah, I'm 33. 33. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm expecting a present for my 34th birthday on October 28th. Uh, uh, just. Okay. Just putting it out there. They might take a month or two to ship, so you better get onto it. Well, with coronavirus, I don't think it'll ever make it. Calm down. I reckon you can get it through. Just write on your, the box that you're the build with, and it'll get express, get priority. I'll, I'll uh, 
I'll talk to my people and, and we'll see what we can do there. I'll, I'll talk to Trump. He'll, he'll get it through. Yeah. Um, just send him a quick message. So since you're, you're 33, you're going on 34 with this company, digging big holes, running a hundred trucks, where does it, where do you want it to go? Do you want to keep it growing or are you happy where you're at? What does that look like? Very difficult to stop a snowball down a hill. Yeah. I, you, I know how that is. As, yeah. You're just as likely to stop it and make it disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. The only way forwards is on, upwards, if yeah. that makes sense. But you have the issue of the companies that you work for. They're getting larger. Mm-hmm. They're experiencing growth. So how am I meant to stay at the same level of supply? So 10 years ago or five years ago, they might have only wanted 10 trucks. Now they want 30 trucks. Yeah. If I can't supply the 30, I actually lose the 10. Mm-hmm. That makes so sense. So it's either, yeah. it's either backwards or get the 30. Yeah. Well, and because they, they need it. Yeah. And, and, and as you build out the infrastructure, of your company, it just becomes hungrier. Like you just have to feed it with more money and to make more money, you the, need to get the bigger. overhead. Yeah. The overheads are, are a joke. Yeah. The, the overheads and the percentage of profit. I probably made more money when I had two or three guys on. Oh yeah. Than, than having 40 people full time. Yeah, no, I, and, and that's exactly where I'm at. I've had this conversation quite a few times over recently. If I, if I was just doing my thing with one or two people, I'd be making a killing right now. I'm not seeing any mm-hmm. of the money. And now like the, the past month or two has been kind of our first experience in incurring real overhead where it's just, yep. it's a lot of money and we're not billing for it anywhere, but you have to come up with the money to feed it and you need it to get to that next level. Absolutely. But it, it's, it's like, Absolutely. you but have the to grow. You're chasing, the customers you're chasing might say, listen, I want you on three sites tomorrow. Yeah. If you only have two people, you can't be there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which means that the, it has to grow. And then if those three people are out on site, you don't have anyone answering the phone in the office. Yep. Which means that someone should really sit there. Yep. And then now you've got four, it really means that someone needs to be doing the payroll. Yeah. Because now there's four or five people. And then the, this explosion happens of just sliding people in like, oh, I never knew that you could have so many people in accounts. And, and in your business, <laughs> like you can't bill for the person answering phones. You can't bill a cut. That's not oh, a line definitely. item on a bid. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, definitely not. You You can't bill for a lot of things that we do. Yeah. Yeah. But but it just becomes part of the service. But the, the problem that you run into is that the rates don't really change. Yep. So then you have to be more efficient at the job to make more money, but you don't necessarily get more money. Well, and that's and that's the, the counterintuitive part of contracting is everyone's trying to beat each other up and, and it only ends up screwing everybody because it, it only ends up ruining all the contractors' margins, but the owners are just fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's been the way of business for centuries. That's just how it works. We go for the cheapest one and who can provide the best service. So, And and I I don't think that no podcast with me or you or even with Trump is going to be able to change that part. We've just got to be smarter, work maybe a little bit harder so that we can make our little bit. Well, and so that goes to, you know, why do people hire you guys beyond price? What about Starbucks is appealing to customers? Uh, we're fast. Fast? We are real fast. Uh. Yep. Yeah, we can we can punch out jobs, I'd say, quicker than most of my competitors and more consistently faster than most of my competitors. We Because we own the trucks. Well, we mm. own the trucks work. 
Yeah. And because we yeah. own the place that's taking, where the overtime is no issue. Okay. Staying at, staying, when everyone else goes home at 3.30, I'll keep the dump site open till 5.30. Yeah. You have, there's only a finite number of loads in every single job. So if you can get 20% extra production on each truck, then that means I get it done 20% faster. Yeah. You also then overload it with 20% more trucks. And because we're good at digging holes, mm. now all of a sudden I'm doing it in almost half the time that one of my competitors are. Mm-hmm. And then the and truck drivers are happy because they get more truck hours. Truck drivers are earning more money. Yeah. The builders or the lead contractors are happy because we're punching it out. Yeah. I make more money because obviously as long as we can get to more holes, then I should make more money. Whether or not I see it is a totally different thing. But overall, it means that my company can grow very quickly because we're actually doing more work than the next guy is with, let's say, a 20 ton. Hmm. My 20 tons production compared to his 20 tons production, my one is higher. So therefore, I should make more money. That's pretty interesting. It makes sense. Sure. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. What are your, with the growth and where you guys are at now, what are your biggest problems right now? Uh, okay, so uh, apart from coronavirus, you yeah, got to well, throw that in the bin. You know, that's, that's, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess we can we can include that or, or get rid of it because it could go well, either Well, coronavirus, 100%. If we're including it, then that is the biggest issue that I have. My government is very, very, very strict. I won't go into no political forwards and backwards here, well, but it's very, very strict how they're implementing things to try and stop. Hold on, I don't want to make it. Po- I don't want to make it political, but just just explain where your city's at right now because I I saw it on the internet the other day. You're in Melbourne, right? Yep. Yeah. So yep. so Melbourne, Australia. I saw it on the internet the other day. A list of what is actually happening in Melbourne right now. I was like, okay, you know, this is the internet. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. So I texted you. I was like, Jimmy, what's it like over there? And you said it is just completely fucked. Can you explain? It is completely it, fucked. Yeah, can, can you just explain where it's at right now? Because it's it's insane. Okay, so like overall, over the whole of society or in in my state, we've got, they've called it a stage four lockdown, whichever number they want to put on it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But uh, there's a curfew, so you're not allowed to be out of your house. There's roadblocks where you have to go through. We have to present work permits. So because I'm the lead contractor, I have to supply all of the work permits to people that get checked. There's a $100,000 fine attached to if that work permit, if someone is driving on the road that isn't allowed to be out, you're allowed to exercise one day outside of your house and you have to be within five kilometers of your house. Unreal. Yeah, and the, so then you bring it down a little bit closer to home, which is the, uh, the work sites. So the work sites have to reduce by 75% on site. Or if they're, that's for a commercial or industrial sector. Yeah. If you're in the residential zone, that has to be a maximum of five people on the site. It also means that you're only allowed in the residential zone to go to three sites for a week. Wow. And you have to keep a travel log of where you're going. And you, so, have, to, you, have, to, you have to keep a log of everywhere you've gone. Yeah. Yep. Wow. You have to keep a log of everywhere you've gone, and then <laughs> uh, yeah, there's uh, there's 
big fines attached to people going to work, face masks and hand sanitizer, and uh, I get my temperature checked 30 times a day. Yeah, yeah. For every, every you know, you just walk in somewhere and they test your temperature. Now, I had a big problem because they've also left these laws open-ended. So they say if you're in business, you must do the maximum amount possible to not have interaction between staff. Yeah. Now, what is that? Where do you go from there? Does that mean that no one sees each other? Or does that mean that where possible, no one sees each other? But there's no finite thing that says, this is what you must do. So that means I've kicked 90% of people out of my office. Yeah. There's no boys swapping machines or jobs. So that means that sometimes they have to sit at home. Yeah. Man. Yeah, and it's just, it's real, it's very, very challenging to say the least because of, um, yeah, it, what's happening in our state. But you're, you're overall an essential business. Overall, we have essential jobs, yes. So I was very lucky at the start of coronavirus. I spoke to my number two in the excavation game. So that his name's Barack. I spoke to him yep. and uh, we, we targeted some schools. So really? we targeted and we ended up winning, winning six school jobs. So big, big jobs for schools. No so kidding. That, uh, because they're, they're considered essential. And then we have all of the other infrastructure work that we do around town. So a few of our residential jobs have dropped off. And if they haven't dropped off yet, I know that that's coming as they're not opening up new ground because they don't want to open it because at the end of the day, it's the supply chain that's been depressed because the factories that are producing the pits for the houses have to reduce by 75% as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the pipes aren't being made. And if they are being made, it's more difficult to get delivered because the allocator's working at home and is currently sitting at the computer in their underwear yeah. eating a bowl of cereal yeah. and maybe not taking that phone call. <laughs> yeah. But uh, going back to, so you guys deliberately targeted those school projects. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so, and this goes to, it's like you can argue both points that, okay, some businesses like restaurants, they couldn't have done anything. They were just screwed from the beginning. But uh, you know, some, some business owners, they play the victim mentality. Oh, I can do anything. Poor me, poor me. Oh, this is terrible. And then other business owners are like, okay, here's the new reality. I need to adjust. I need to attack. I need to adapt. I need to do this for the sake of my business, for the sake of survival, for the sake of keeping food on the table. And we're going to go in this direction. And that's what you guys did. It, it, the, the last point is the most important part that you said. You must keep the food on the table for the yeah. people who are loyal to you and work for you. Yeah. It's my responsibility to try my hardest to make sure that these people can stay at work, stay fed to the best of my ability. Now, if that's to target certain jobs, then so be it. If that's to cycle through as many of the trucks as possible so that they all get a little bit of food, uh. then then that's what I have to do because at the end of the day, if I come out of this fine but have no one that can come to work for me anymore because they're all flat broke, yeah. then what have I achieved? Yeah. But then on the flip side of that, it's no good sending myself broke so that everyone else can eat because then they're going to have nothing to come back to. Yeah. It's a balancing act between keeping everyone's head above water possible. Exactly. And that and that and that can be quite difficult. So yeah, we've it's it's difficult <laughs> it, 
yeah, we we cycle through the trucks. We've reduced some hours for people so that we didn't have to get rid of anyone in the office. You know, so everyone takes their turn, sort of thing. The the operators all get their time in the machines every week, and the job sites remain open. But yeah, we're a lot of people are struggling uh, to find work and to keep the consistency going in Melbourne at the moment. And the lockdowns for six weeks, and this is like the second or third lockdown we've been in as well, which makes it even more difficult. No kidding. Mm. Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, when does this end, too? There, you have no idea. No, no. Well, yeah, I don't know. There can't be an end uh, unless there's a vaccine, I suppose, or some sort of treatment for it, because yeah. from my knowledge and understanding, which is very minimal, I'm not saying I, uh, I'm no person who's an expert on viruses, but it's not going to go down to zero. Well, everyone's an expert on viruses these days because they read an article online. Ah, uh huh. I don't. I don't read online articles. I only watch my favorite page, Build Wit. That's oh. all I do, and read his beautiful stories underneath every photo. Well, then you're wasting a whole <laughs> lot of your time. All your valuable time going to waste. What? Um, yeah. That, let's go to let's go to social media. You've been you've been sharing what you've done online for a very long time now. I'm pretty sure I followed yeah. you before Buildwit existed. I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I followed you when you were standing in a trench watching a. Uh, a Hitachi drop in culverts. In yeah, the yeah. It, it's you know before, way before I came onto the scene. You you've been there. You, you've been online a yeah. long time. When at what point did yeah. you start sharing stuff online? Well, when I realised that I didn't have any hobbies yeah. uh, apart yeah. from digging holes, yeah. and I didn't take uh, photos of myself, so I, I don't look good in selfies. Fair enough. And the last one was is uh, uh, I didn't go out to many nice restaurants to take photos of food. <laughs> So that meant that I was only left with what I did as a job and my hobby because yeah. I love digging. I've really enjoyed my time in the excavators. So I just took photos and started sharing them online. How that's, long? That's a simple. Uh, when was that? Seven years ago. Six, yes. seven years ago. Eight seven. years ago when Instagram first started. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was I was starting to post pictures online of of what I was doing, and it's changed so much now. If you scroll all the way through the news feed, you see. You know, small little electrical trenches that I used to dig with a two and a half ton. Yeah. They're now doing big infrastructure jobs where, like, we've moved 20,000 cubic meters in, I don't know, a couple of days. Yeah. We've actually done one job where we moved 10,000 cubic meters on road out of there in a day. <laughs> like, it's done. It's very, very different to where I started. What What's social media done for your business, if anything? Social media is fantastic. Social media is, is it's multifaceted in how important it is to finding work, to finding operators, to, to having someone be able to go on when I go for that job to say, just have a look at my social media, mate. It'll show you what I can do. Mm. And then they log on and they have a look and they see all of these jobs and it's like a diary of, of what you've done and they can scroll through and they go, this is someone I want to put my job in their hands. Yeah. The operators, I don't ever have a problem with operators. I've, the only advertising I've ever done in 12, 13 years of business, whatever it is, is put up a story to say, I need operators. But no it, kidding. That's it for hiring. Never, that just for hiring. Never advertise for an operator. Wow. I would have 20, 30, 40 resumes at any time 
huh. waiting for jobs. Imagine that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I know you like that point. I no. know you like that point because, yeah. because it, but it's true. It's the new way of communicating with people. Well, and the hiring thing, a big deal, yeah. But I, I like how you said it's really just kind of like a, a diary, a resume, because that's what it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. for us, all our sales conversations, they already know everything about us. It's like, you, you've been following me for a year. I don't have anything else to tell you. You already know it all. Yeah, that's it. You know what I'm doing. You know that I'm serious about the job. Yeah. You know? it, it, but it also creates a, it's not so much a dialogue, because we're not talking, but it, it, people know my company. People know my company that have never seen one of my excavators. Yeah. Never seen one of my trucks or never seen a job that I've done. But through social media, they know me. I've 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 never seen anything you've ever done. <laughs> well, one day when you come over here you can have a look. Well, I'll take you around the one. I don't think an American will ever be allowed in Australia again. Oh, no, I don't think an American would ever want to come to Australia again. It's probably <laughs> more to the point. If you're not allowed out in between the hours of 8 o'clock and 5 a.m., oh, then God. you're not coming, are you? It's just, I can't believe that. Just, but in, in social media, uh, social media for you, you have some fun with it too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, so I am the... I am not politically correct. No. I write what I want. I do what I used to do it a lot worse. I got into a lot of trouble and I upset a few people. I used to get on my social media and have a good rant yes. about things. Yes. And and really used to some people copped abuse on it. Um, I stopped doing that because it got a little bit more serious. I, I got that some people following me of uh, you know more. Uh, uh, white collar workers following me that gave out jobs, project managers and that sort of stuff. So I had to stop doing that, but I still speak my mind on it. I still have a bit of fun with my friends where you, we used to have a lot more, but yeah, it's, uh, you gotta, you gotta play a little bit smarter than just going out there and abusing someone on it. No, I, I, uh, I do miss your rants, but I agree. You gotta be a little <laughs> bit more political. As you get, yeah, you know, yeah. climb up the ladder. A little bit more political, a little bit more professional, a little bit more, you know, smarter about what you put on and the jobs you put on. I know someone who got done for a, uh, uh, you call them OSHA. Yeah. We call them WorkSafe. They got yeah. done for an OSHA claim. Really? From a picture that they put online, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that'll happen. And you were the one that, or one of the first that shared the new cat excavator that wasn't supposed to be on the internet. Yeah, I got it sent <laughs> to me by a friend. <laughs> It's actually a very funny story. Yeah. Should I mention which the dealer was or should I not mention who the dealer was? I mentioned the dealer. Everyone already knows. Okay. So Cashman Cat actually sent me a lawyer's letter to take it down. Yeah. 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 And uh, and then they said, oh, you need to take it down. You weren't allowed the photo. I said, well, I'm in Australia, right? I don't have any NDA with you. Yeah. Right? I didn't take the photo. Yeah. And fourthly, get fucked. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And no is the answer. And I shared it everywhere because I, I've gotten a fair few photos from people who know that yeah, I've got a little bit of a soft yellow spot in my body where um, I do like myself a cat digger. So they send them to me. Yeah. So I believe that I believe it was covered with a tarpaulin and they shipped it, I don't know, halfway around the world or wherever it was and then trucked it with a tarpaulin on it pulled the tarp back to unload it before they put the tarp back on. And in that two minutes, I got a snap sent to me. 
and then and then I immediately put it up on the internet. <laughs> well, I, I saw it and I just started laughing like I am right now because I knew. I knew exactly what you were doing and I knew the the frenzy it would cause. And within five minutes of you putting it on the internet, it was everywhere. It was, they were never getting that photo back ever, ever, ever. (laughs) No, but it's like, you know, if they sent it to me two or three days later, it had been reshared like a thousand or 1200 times. Yeah. And so what are you, do you not know how the internet works? (laughs) <laughs> like I, I wanted to write that back to the idiot who sent me the uh, to send me the it was like a de- cease and desist order. Yeah. I added it in the folder called legal, yeah. you know, in my emails and just put also called the junk folder. Uh, well, you know, I, it's just well, it's probably not the first crazy. one you got. No, 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 no. We'll just add it to the rest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right. Um, so that, so that's the internet. Yeah, I wanted to cover that because, yeah, that, that was funny. But uh, have you ever, going back to kind of big picture business, have you ever been burnt out with all this? Like, you know, like you're, you're saying you just love digging and love being in a machine yeah. and love digging holes. Yeah. Have you ever just been so sick of it? And like, I, do, I never want to look at a hole again. Like what, what, have you been burnt no, out? No, no, the no, hole, the holes are the best part. Yeah. They're driving these machines, they get in your blood. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's the diesel or the yellow paint, and it might sound like, you know, a bit of a crock, and some people listening to this might not understand, but I can guarantee you a lot of the people who are going to listen to this understand that the holes, digging them, gets in your blood, driving these machines. Yeah. That's the easy part. The easy part, digging them. Get out of it, come sit in an office and deal with... 50 people trying to either screw you over, make you work for nothing, make you into their counsellor or, uh, you know, share all of their world problems with you, which I'm not saying I don't care, but it weighs on you. Mm -hmm. It weighs on you a lot more than when you were just sitting in a machine loading trucks. Mm -hmm. It's much more difficult. And I would say that I'm more burnt out now at this current time in this current climate because you don't know what's about to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in these four weeks at the end of this lockdown. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really depressing moment when I, I've worked so hard to keep everyone working in my office and to actually even get an office or to be able to buy the 20 computers that are in here yeah. to then have to send them all home for you know a, a government change of rules. You know, it, it's, a, it's hard yakka now. It's depressing as. But as far as doing the jobs, the jobs are the best part. You know, if you, you can go drive a machine all day and the phone doesn't ring and you can listen to your tunes on the radio, that's living. That how do you, may as well be my hobby. How do you keep up the motivation? You know, right now you're just getting kicked in the nuts every day. How do you keep up the motivation of just slogging? Good people. Yeah. Good people around you. I yeah. can't lift this anymore. You, you know, if you think... When I started, I was the horse pulling the sled, or the you know, or whatever it might be. You get a team of them. It means that when one when one doesn't pull hard, he just has to trot along, and everyone else pulls that sled. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some fantastic people that put their heart and soul into. You know, some of them are operators. You know, the, the girl who organises my trucking, the girl who pays the bills in the office. You know, they're Trojan workers. Mm-hmm. You know, they do not stop and they, they're the ones that help get you through it when, you know, times are a bit tough because don't forget with these lockdowns, it's not like you can go out for a motorbike ride on the weekend. You're only allowed to stay 5Ks from your house. 
That's wild. You know, there's there's no leisure activities open. There's no recreation. You can't go out for dinner at a restaurant. No restaurants are open. Man. So so it's hard. It's a it's a hard life at the minute that everyone's living. I'm not saying that we've got it any worse either. By the way, I'm just saying that at the minute, it's hard. No, but uh, that that I mean, work. it's worse than the U.S. is right now. I, I've been to. You know, I I know you're not supposed to be traveling this and that, but it goes to survival. You know, I need to travel to survive right now, so yeah, I yeah, I have absolutely. no problem doing it. I've been to 30 states since May, and there you go. the The U.S. is still just blowing and going right now. It's you know yep. quiet here or there. You know, you can't go out and go you know on a busy dance floor or go to a concert, so but it's fine. It, you want to know the the most mind blowing thing? Uh, I believe that 400 people have died Australia wide total. Jeez. Since coronavirus came out. Yeah. Yeah. And my government's doing this. It's wild. 400 people total. Yeah. Total. Yeah. Like, not like last week, not today, not this month. I'm talking since March, 400 people total. But everyone's locked down. You can't go to the end of your street if you don't have a valid reason. If you do have a valid reason, you better be able to prove it when the police pull you over. And it's a different... I've tried to explain this to people too. It's like, it's not harder. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, it's harder for me than it is you because this and that. But it is a different pressure and an emotional experience being a business owner, being responsible for other human beings through this than just well, you, you know, you got, yourself. You got skin in the game, mate. You yeah. got, you know, you got this, like, you know, if this all goes bad, you can't go out and find a new job. You're yeah. fucked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've lost your house. You've lost, you know, probably half of your mates. You know, you, well, well you, you know, not the good ones, but you know, it, you've got this skin in the game. It's all on your shoulders. Yeah. And the bigger you get, the harder that is. Now, you, you can try and put as much off of it as, as you can. You know, you can try and give the organising of the trucks over here or the quoting of the jobs over here to this person. But at the end of the day, the make or break decisions are on you. And if you screw them up, then everyone's not going to say, oh, the guy who quoted that job fucked it. Or they're not going to say, oh, the girl should have organized those trucks better. No, they're going to say, Jimmy screwed up. Yeah. And that's well, a bit of a weight. Well, it's your name on everything. I mean, literally, your name is on every machine. <laughs> I never thought it was going to be like that, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. If I, I would have thought of a smart company like, I don't know, uh, something to do with Earth or, you know, something real smart like that rather than my last name. Yeah. It's it's funny. I just had that conversation this evening at dinner about how I somewhat regret putting my name on the company. Mm-hmm. And it's not yep. it's not just my name, but I, I really wish it was separate. I really wish it was something totally different because I don't like it when I don't I don't I, I don't do it for the recognition so when someone, I get this all the time, they'll see my hard hat, they'll see Buildwit, they'll see, oh, oh, Buildwit, and then they'll look at my name, Aaron Witt, right below it, and they'll say, oh, is it your company? And and every time they say that, I'm just like, oh, like, yeah, it is, but, it is. I, but, but yeah. I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like it being about me. I don't want it to be about me because it's not, it's not me anymore. There's, there's. It's, yeah, yep. it's like you were just saying, you know, I used to be, it was just a one horse race, but now there's, there's a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. I'm I'm a very small fraction of it now. I don't want it to be just me. It's not me. So I was working 
right? I never had stickers on anything. I was working in one housing estate, one new subdivision, very rich area. With They all had big, big basements. You know, they all had, I don't know, well, hundred or $200,000 jobs on every single house lot on the street. Wow. And I never ran stickers. So my logo came from me and my friend making it on paint so wow. that I could get stickers put on the machine so that people would know that I was digging it because I'd already won one job on the street. Mm. But I wanted to get more jobs on the street. Mm-hmm. So I needed to put my name on it so that they knew it was me. And my black and white Starbuck logo came from making it on paint. No kidding. So, yeah, the other part that, like, people put a lot of pressure on themselves to make these great logos and these great names. Yeah. If you're not providing a great service, then don't worry about spending logo money on a logo. Yeah. Don't worry about spending – if you're not good at your job. It didn't matter if you called it build wit, arid wit, no matter what it was. I could have called it uh, earth haulage or – I dig earth, and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. What matters is is that you provide a good service, and that and that you, um, well, really, you you provide value for the money that they're going to spend with you. No, I agree. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I I also ended up doing eight of those jobs on the street. Advertising works. Put your name on stuff. It works. It does. Absolutely, yeah. it does. Yeah, we we do a lot of branding and, and logo and all that stuff now, and you mm. you'll get companies that just stress about it, and it's like. I could make your logo the little shit emoji and, and I guarantee you it'll be just fine. Like it, it really, at the end of the day, it's it's what you make of that logo, what it actually means by your actions, not, not the logo itself. Yeah. Yeah, What's behind that logo is the important part. Yeah. Yeah. But, but don't get me wrong. No one wants to look at a shit emoji either. Yeah. No, no, no. I, yeah, that's, that's way oversimplifying. And, a nice logo <laughs> does go a long way, so I'm not saying that it doesn't. Absolutely, but one I, day you can redesign mine. Remember, it's from paint. One, yeah, one day. I, I've looked at yours. I'm like, yeah, we could. I think we could do a little you bit could, more with that. Yeah, I, I reckon because that's how simple it is. Because I'm no technology man yeah. at all. Yeah, I'm actually terrible at it. Yeah, no, I, well, I, ne- I needed the I needed it to be put on an excavator so that people would know that when I gave the quote, I was already on that street. I was already doing those style of jobs because if my logo wasn't on it, then I'd just be another quote in the pile. Makes sense. We did our first one. I did it like a internet comp- competition. So you just kind of like type a paragraph as far as what you want and who you are. And then they just submit like a hundred different designs and you kind of choose one and they're all just terrible. I mean, they're just <laughs> God awful. Everyone had, you know, an excavator bucket or something like that. You've seen all the, Ooh. you know, Construction yeah. company logos with an excavator, or uh, and I ended up on the first one. It, it, I still like it, but yeah, it was one of those shitty uh, internet competitions. I like it, the ones that look like they're what coming across the screen on Microsoft PowerPoint. Yeah, that sort of writing. Yeah, like yep, Starbucks. Yeah, and I, d- I don't want to, I don't want to uh, insult our uh, design and branding folks because it does go a long ways to have it look pretty. So we uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And that's a Absolutely. big part of our business. I don't want to say uh, logo doesn't matter, but no, because because now we have we have different color schemes and we have uh, capability statements and we have all of all of these things that do become very important to have. Yeah, they're very important. So you need the logo and you need the color schemes and you need 
you know, the consistency of your documents looking the same, you know, invoice templates and contracts and all of that sort of stuff. It makes you professional. Well, in those those big companies that you were talking about, they care about that stuff. Absolutely, it, they it, do. Yeah, it's maybe not the person that just wants a basement dug, but those big companies, you know, in, in mm-hmm. government, and it, it goes a long ways. Absolutely, like all, all of that sort of stuff, and even but the people with the with the basement, you know, if you come there and you give them a quotation on a back of a napkin. And then you get my quotation and, you know, with printed out with terms and conditions and a credit application and yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. Well, you know, if you just were choosing based on the quotation and not on anything else, well, then I would hope that you'd go with the guy that looks more professional because you're thinking that that's going to lead into the other parts of his work. I agree. Yeah. No, that's what, so, um, that's what Chris said the other day about why he keeps his machine so clean because he's like, Listen, like if I show up on your site, my machine looks damn good. Mm-hmm. That says a lot about my work. Whereas the the other guy, you know, it's a beat to shit machine, and maybe you're just looking for price. Oh, he might be able yeah. to beat me on price, but he's not going to be able to beat me on quality. There's no way. Absolutely, you know. And my company really started to get bigger when I bought my first brand new twenty tonner. Mm. People could see that I was investing in it. It was a uh, was a brand new model, so they hadn't seen many out. This was an A series. You know, when I really started to get a little bit more traction with the quoting of the bigger job, when beforehand, I just wasn't getting there. I was able to quote the job, but I was never able to get over the line. Mm. And and so you were able to quote it, but a lot of it was down to perception, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if that was... I also ran into the trouble of no one wants a 21-year-old to do their $50,000 job. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So I called uh, my second. So I've gone through a few different generations of branding. So I called my uh, second generation Starbuck and Son. Wow. Not that my dad has anything to do with it, but oh. I, I would pretend that I was the son. That's clever. That is very That's clever. Great. Yeah, mate. Wow. My dad's in the background. I'll just quote <laughs> this one up for you, but I, if you need anything, he's always on the blower. I can give him a call. <laughs> And then, but he wasn't on the blower, but that's okay because we always got it done. Well, that's, oh, that's, that that's all that, that's all that people care about. They just want the damn job done. It doesn't matter exactly. how old I am. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, they, they did think that it would matter how old I was, but as I've gotten older and I've gotten uh, my name out there more and whatever else, then I find that, well, now I haven't ran into that issue in years, but I used to run into it on every second or third job I went to. Wow. Oh. Starbuck and Son. Is this, is this your company? And I go, no, no, it's me and me dad. That's he hilarious. He down to quote it, but don't worry, I'll run, I'll run everything past him. Unbelievable. I've never heard that before, Jimmy. Huh. You like that one? That's very, no, it's very clever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a little bit of hustle. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it like it describes the mentality just perfectly. Yeah. And you you I mean you've spent a lot of money in your fleet too. You have some nice equipment. Yes. It seems like you guys are always yeah. getting something new. I am. I am always getting something new. So you have a choice. And the choice are repayments or maintenance. Mhm. You buy secondhand gear, you will be paying money to maintain it. Yeah. If you buy brand new gear, you will be paying money to, you know, the repayments will be high. But no one has ever lost a job for having high repayments. But people have lost a job from breakdowns. 
Yeah. Eventually, that second-hand machine will break down. It will break down quicker than the brand-new one, unless, of course, it's a lemon, which I've had a few of them. Yep. But generally speaking, brand-new machines get better service. They get, you know, the, it's actioned quicker. The parts are in stock because they're still getting sold on the showroom floor, which means the parts are on the shelf. But if you're trying to go out and find a part for a 1975 model Kenworth, you know, you might have to find one that's remanufactured or do something like that. You know, you might have to take it to the Kenworth Whisperer to figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah. Because all of the technicians who work on Kenworth nowadays just want to plug and play on a laptop when in actual fact you need a guy who knows what he's doing with spanners. So I've always, from the time that I could afford to go brand new, I have gone brand new. Uh. And, and so most of your equipment, if not all, you buy it brand new? Uh, you know, trucks. I think that the uh, capital investment or the ROI, as uh, numbers people like to say, on on a truck aren't necessarily there. Well, the heavy um, equipment. So I don't buy it, but heavy equipment, all brand new. Wow. All oh. brand new. Oh, I, I, apart from the dozer. Apart from one of the dozers because I can't. It's, they're very expensive, and because most of my work is digging holes, not pushing them in. Yeah, I was happy to go with a bit of the trade-off there. Oh, that makes with sense. The, with the, yeah, but all of the excavators brand new. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we've uh, we've been talking a while here. I wanted to touch on one more thing before we're done. What's what are the what are the major differences you've noticed between Australia and the United States as far as this line of work goes? Hmm. Yes, uh, you'd like the direct pin buckets, for one. Yeah, I know that there's a new Encon craze happening, which I half buy into for the work that you guys have. But I feel like our production values can be higher than yours, unless you're getting into the big, big bulk earthworks, because then you want to direct pin it. Yeah, but that's one of them. You don't truck as much dirt on road as we do. Yeah. Uh, primarily because I think that, uh, yeah, like I was saying at the start of the conversation where you backfill the basements, you actually need the dirt to stay there when we need to take it away. And you guys don't uptake technology as quick as us. So almost, I'd say three quarters of my plant has 3D Trimble GPS. Mm. I'd and, agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got, it's, it's almost mandatory to get on the to the infrastructure projects, so the big government work. If you do not have GPS, you will struggle to get a job. Yeah, and in the U.S., like most blades have it now, a lot of dozers have it, but excavators still, it's it's really not taking all that quick. And then even I, when they I, do, I it's just 2D. The, yes, I think that the it is that's how it starts. The blade started, but with the final finishing work. You know, they're the ones that they get the most use out of it. Then the dozers get it, and then the excavators are last. But it's yeah. coming. Eventually, it'll be like over here. You know, we put small basements on 3D. You know, we run it everywhere that we can because the efficiency is higher, but also the problem that we have is that the labor rate is so expensive Yeah, because we have very strong unions for labor rates in my state, which means that, if you can save a spotter or a laborer being on the ground watching you dig or giving you heights or running strings or holding onto a staff, 
then that's the significant saving mm-hmm. on the job. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would run it every time. But I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything. So I don't know, you know, what I'm talking about. But if it were my job and my equipment, I'd be running it on everything here. I don't it I've is never very, understood. It is very expensive though. It's, yeah. it's eighty thousand, ninety thousand bucks. So you can't run it on absolutely everything. Well, there, yes. there has to be horses yeah. for courses. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. But if your job if your job can run it, you should be. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the case here. And and to the to the Engon thing, they're really not that common. I think they're just very common on social media right now because oh. because a lot of the folks on social media, you know, the, the owner-operators run them, and they work great for them. Mm-hmm. But all the big they outfits, do. all the big outfits, they don't have them here. See, I, I, I handed mine back. It didn't, it didn't work for my company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I very rarely actually see them in real life. But I see them on social Maybe. media every day. Oh, on social media, they're everywhere, but... It meant that that was a operator dedicated machine because no one else could drive it. Mm, that it makes meant sense. that when you did put people in it, they weren't efficient anymore. Their buckets, I don't know if they put out a competition to design the worst bucket. <laughs> so so they actually went worldwide community of earthmovers <laughs> and said, listen, we want the most useless bucket that we can design to put on the end of this encon. Uh-huh. And then that's what they came up with. <laughs> The floors are too long. The teeth don't engage. Their capacity is too small. And so then when you add that into the fact that the breakout force is lessened by the fact that the dipper arm is 600 or 800 mil longer, it meant that for a bulk earthworks guy, nah. Yeah, for for you it's pointless. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it, it actually ended up costing me money rather than saving or making me money. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, But when with the the job that you do, the, the, the backfills and all of that sort of stuff, they work great. Oh, I yeah. think that they're fantastic. You yeah. get those different shapes and everything that you have to do for the, for the basement that you guys do, but for what I do, no. Nah. I agree. I agree. Yeah, hand it back. Well, we're just giving everyone a commercial today. <laughs> Maybe Encon won't like their commercial that much yeah, at I, the moment. But, I, but the Encon uh... is very useful. <laughs> Yes. It's very useful. It's a great tool, especially for the owner-operator. I think that they can really make them work. But yes. the larger you get, well, those companies aren't buying them anyway. I agree for a reason. Mm. But buy, yep. an, buy an Incon. This is a positive review. <laughs> buy an Incon without buckets <laughs> and get your own buckets made for it. We're never going to have sponsors <laughs> on this show for that reason, so I think we're okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Send your bill to Starbucks Excavation. Yeah, no. You can start uh you can start building custom buckets. Uh no, not this week. Maybe yeah. next. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to need to find something to do if you can't work anymore. Uh, yeah, well, I'll stay at home, watch Foxtel, learn how to play that Call of Duty that everyone's playing. Oh, you know, I wish I could buy an <laughs> Xbox. I'd I'd love to play that game right now. Uh mate, I, I can't do it. I'm built to be outside. I can't sit inside for too long. No, I'm if I'm you. sitting, I'm having a nap. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this was a pretty, we covered a lot of ground here. And you said you didn't have anything to talk about. And yet here we are at an hour and 10 minutes. You pulled it out of me, mate. I, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm starting to get good at this. Yeah, that you are. Thanks very much. It's not that hard to get you talking, especially if there's some beer involved. 
Oh yeah. See, imagine if we could have done it face to face. By wish... the end of it, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have gotten off. One, <laughs> one, one day. One day we'll do one live drunk. Once you can, Even, if, I reckon uh, we'll no, get a lot of people tuning in. No, Jimmy, if you come to Trimble Dimensions next year, it's in Nashville. We'll have our office and everything. It was meant to be on this year. Yes, it was this year, but they moved it to next year. Well, I think I'm going. I'm there. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll do okay. a a live podcast with Jimmy Starbuck in Nashville, Tennessee, with beer involved and tequila. You can have the tequila. Uh, you that's all. No, you. no, come on now. No, nah, yeah. together. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe for you. All right, man. I really, really appreciate you taking some time uh, away from your lunch hour and your pizza. Yep. And uh, I'm going to go to bed now. I'll look forward to seeing it up online tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know about that, but it'll be up one day. And if they <laughs> if they, they want to see your stuff, it's just at Starbucks Excavation on Instagram, correct? That's it, mate. Thank you. Excellent. All right, follow Jimmy. At Starbuck Excavation, he posts some pretty cool stuff, and and he posts some funny stuff. So he's a straight shooter. Jimmy, thanks. thanks. I will talk to you later.